Thanks for tuning in. It's time for Living Writers. Good afternoon. If you're just tuning in, you're just in time because today on Living Writers, Nandi Comer is here and you've got WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Um, thanks so much to DJ Lambchop for, um, uh, I'm so excited always to hear her show as um, we're rolling into Living Writers. I feel really lucky. Um, and Nandi, I feel really lucky just to have this moment with you this has been in the works we were mm-hmm. laughing it's been like a couple of years it feels like yeah. and definitely oh my God. well first <laughs> I thank you so much for having me a- a- I, anytime really it's I I feel like you can't you uh contacted me when I felt like I was just like oh I put out a book it's the middle of COVID and you were like I want to talk to you and I was like oh this every writer's dream is to have someone want to talk to them about their work right and especially during COVID but now it's like such a different space um it's a different four years later almost to the to the T four years it's February so yes um but thank you so much for um continuing to connect with me and you know wanting to coordinate I think we both had our things and now we're finally here (laughs) yes great we 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 have and now and it's happened it's almost hard to believe Mm -hmm. and I could probably don't worry everyone out there listening today I won't keep talking about it but I feel like we could talk the whole hour (laughs) about this and how how um yeah and and I could be pretty (laughs) bubbly and happy about how glad I am that Mm -hmm. it's finally happening Nandi and um and and you're here today we get to we've got your book tapping out um out with um tri-quarterly books Northwestern University Press um and we also have the wonderful news that um you are Michigan's poet laureate Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. it's this it's I couldn't think of a, a better poet laureate um so I'm thrilled uh it's been 50 years since 60 60 okay 60 years yeah it bears out my numbers are never too good on this <laughs> but so 60 years yeah yeah it's amazing um I know that when we when we the poetry community saw that Michigan was going to really put resources towards a program to develop a poet laureate. 
I was just really thrilled that we would finally have a state poet laureate. You know, I had kind of looked around and known that we it had been a long time and I knew Detroit had had one, but the I city too. The city has okay. one. And so, well, we had one, Naomi Long Magic, who passed. Um, but when we saw that, I remember just like the whispers, like, I wonder what's going to be. I hope it's going to be a great thing. And then, you know, someone called me and said that they had submitted my name and that I was a finalist. And I still was kind of like, oh, I wonder who it's going to be. Because <laughs> I thought, you know, it, it, typically the poet laureate positions are considered kind of like lifetime achievements, you know, usually like very much um, advanced career kind of poets. And I had only had one chapbook and one full length collection. And I just really, I thought, well, clearly whoever else is a finalist is clearly going to get it. I'm really glad that I made it to finalists. And then when they called me and told me that they wanted me, I just was like over the hill. Like I was, I was just over the moon about it. I was just really, really thrilled. And I still can't believe that I get to spend every day advocating and celebrating poets around Michigan. And and it's and it's a two year appointment, Nandi. It's a two year appointment. Um, I wish it was longer because I almost <laughs> feel like you need more time. Because, but but tell me, maybe you're like, well, two years is is significant so, chunk of um, of life. Yeah. Um, so it I was it was announced in April, but I had been already doing some work with the Library of Michigan before it was announced. So that my the end of my term will be December of this year. So. Um, I have about 11 more months and it really is, um, I don't want to try to stay in a position. We know what it's like when people try to like keep their positions and they just try to stay no matter what's going on. Um, I think that it's important for us, especially since we didn't have one and we only had one before that. Um, Edgar Guest was our only serving poet laureate before me. Um, I think it's important because we have so many poets in Michigan. We're really a talented state when it comes down to um, poetry. And so I just I don't think I don't think I have to be the only one. Why would I why would I sit there and say why would I advocate for poets and advocate for poetry and right. then say but only I can do that, you know. Um there's so many really great poets, really great um community workers who are re- would be really great candidates and so I'm really excited about the next person that we're going to appoint. I can't wait until, you know, years down the line, I can see the like line of people who've all been in the same club, who have all done, served the community, served our state in a way. And I can't wait to see what other projects that they have too. And, and so with that, Nandi, maybe what, what is your project? Do you feel like, can you talk about that or is that still well, I haven't be... been talking about it. I think I, I told someone in the press what my dream is. Um, so we will be um, showcasing, I won't tell the whole thing, but we are going to showcase poets all around the state in a very public way for folks to visually see how the kind of talent that we have. And that's all I'll say for right now. And then we'll, when um, when it finally comes out, I'll let you know and to show you how you can can reach it and see it definitely yeah. well, and I'll let all like folks here know as well out on the transom so it's closer maybe it's closer to 
December or so when well, or, it'll or be, just later on? It'll be later on. Um, we are working right now to um, finalize one of the projects in the UP. And so I want to make sure that one is in place first before we start to, um, you know, move through other counties. Why is that, Nandi? Because what is the, the Upper Peninsula, like, part of Michigan? Um, why is that a good place to start? And why is that an important place to make sure that's locked in? Well, I so I don't think that a lot. Or not of, locked in. I need to examine my language in a lot of ways. <laughs> I think I'm especially from someone as someone from southeastern Michigan. It is really um, the thinking about the UP is something that we just don't do, and I and it's a shame, right? Um, and so also because I am located so far away from the UP. I want to, at every time that I can, give them the kind of priority that they deserve. Um, there are some, there's a really great poetry community. There's some really great bookstores up there. There's really great schools up there. I got a chance to visit last um, last fall. And so I just really want, I think the UP is, is its own kind of, um, has its own unique culture. And I don't want anyone to say that I spent my whole time in the Lower Peninsula. I want people to know that I was a Michigan Poet Laureate, right? And yes. so even though it was my first time in the fall ever going to the UP, I'd never even crossed the Mackinac, Mackinac Bridge. Yeah. <laughs> what did you think? Did you dip your toes into Lake Superior? Oh, well, no, it was quite chill. I was already, it was already October. <laughs> oh, you're, so no. you're right. Yeah. I chipped away the ice and I, yeah. <laughs> no, it wasn't quite that cold. It wasn't that cold, but I, there were just, um, as someone who really, um, relishes in nature in small towns, I really enjoyed my time. Um, and I think that, you know, um, as like a black woman from Detroit, I think oftentimes people find it rare that someone like me would enjoy the area so much. But I really did enjoy myself. It it was really just a beautiful space. And I'm really looking forward to getting back up there. Yeah. And you mentioned um, like how they've got great schools up there, too, because part of the work that you've been doing as Michigan Poet Laureate is going into the schools, mm -hmm. uh, but, but also working with poets of all ages. Oh, so yeah. young ones and, um, yeah, could you yeah. talk a little bit about so, this? So um, because the appointment is through the Department of Education and they manage all the schools, but also they manage all the libraries in Michigan. And so um, I actually have the opportunity to go to schools and work with students of all ages, but I also most of the time get to work with adults in the library. So that's been really great. Um, when I was in the UP, I did uh, I went to St. Ignace, and we did a, an adult workshop. It was great. They were they were awesome writers, and they were really engaged. One of the other things that I get to do is um, as a part of the Library of Michigan program, we have purchase many books to give away as well so Michigan writers we prioritize like we prioritize Michigan writers um the only time that they aren't Michigan writers are for the younger level reading levels there are poetry books for younger reading levels and so we just prioritize trying to purchase books for that that age group but 
It's been really great to be able to go give a reading, share space with other poets. I had an opportunity to read with the Grand Rapids Poet Laureate and the Lansing Poet Laureate. So it's been also um, a way for writers to also connect in ways that we just, you know, hadn't been able to do um, beforehand. And also reconnect because I've had some really great moments with writers that I love that we've had a chance to like just get together and really um, show the community of how just how talented Michigan is. And and Nandi, were you part of um, creating what this looks like, like what you've been doing as, mm-hmm. as so as part of the like the first one in 60 years? Mm-hmm. And- yeah. Yeah, it's been, um, I really love the team that I'm assigned to at uh, the Library of Michigan in Lansing. They have been really supportive and really open. Um, they, I don't think any of them are touring poets. And so, and neither was I really. I've, I had, you know, I had known what it was to like travel and do events, but I had never put together a tour before. So, but they, as someone who did a lot of booking management on behalf of other artists, I was able to tell them like, this is really what we're looking at. This is what people should be able to expect. This is what you should be covering for, you know, the libraries and making sure that they have everything. And so they really like listen to me very rarely. Are they like, no, we're not going to do that. So, and I think, you know, um, what will be nice is when the next poet laureate comes in, um, they'll be able to look at what I did, look at how I shaped it, and they'll be able to bring their own talents to it. We don't want it to be necessarily like, oh, you do exactly what Nandi did. No, we want to make sure that every poet is different. Every poet has different process and different resources. And so we want to make sure that everyone feels supported in these pro- in this program. And sometimes support is having a template template mm-hmm. to work with. Mm-hmm. So you're you're trailblazing this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. basically. So they're really lucky that you're you're <laughs> I've got you're a the lot first. of experience yeah. because I've worked with so many organizations and doing event planning and doing and supporting artists. So I, you know, I think that you know, I probably no, I don't want to gloat, but I probably, <laughs> I probably had a little bit this more. Is your, this is your show. This is your episode. No, I, mean, so. there were other, I do know, I did, I did uh, find out who were, who were some of the other writers that were being considered, but I do feel like there is um, this kind of position. It's more than you being a good writer, you know. It has to be somebody who wants to really interact with the community, someone who really wants to... Um, share with people and know that like you're going to meet people who don't care about poetry and it's and it might just be your job to still share with that person you know? yeah, try to try to spark or ignite <laughs> a little something maybe yeah or change yeah. something because people have had some people have had bad experiences with poetry mm-hmm. um, whether it's in school or um, or, or so, uh, so this part of your work is trying to show the the many many parts to poetry or, mm-hmm. or possibilities mm-hmm. or um well well let's take a short break okay. and then when we come back um i'd love would you would you read us a poem so or two or three or four as we go along today today on living writers N- nandi comer is here tapping out the book on the table with us um nandi is michigan's poet laureate i'm t hetzel we've got jason behind the glass and we'll be back 
Welcome back. If you're just tuning in, so glad you did. I'm T. Hetzel. You've got Living Writers. And today, Nandi Comer is here um, on Living Writers with her book, Tapping Out. We've got new poems from a new manuscript um, on the table. And Nandi also has chosen all of today's music. Thanks for that, Nandi. Uh, uh, Why did did you choose that one? So... um... (laughs) I was thinking when I was making my selection, not only about what um, what I wanted, where I, where I was, but where I am right now. And so the poem, the songs that I chose for um, today's show are a mix. Um, and the two first tracks that you played, the first song was uh, Clear by Cyber- Cybertron and this one, Godzilla, that we just listened to. I really like after um, after grad school and a fellowship, I came back to Detroit and I had a mentor ask me if someone was to do um, a poetry project that really went into like the history of Detroit, what would you do? And I decided to do um, poems that really investigated the history of techno in Detroit. And so those two songs are... Um, really representative of like the techno scene. We listened, those are very much classics on the techno scene. Um, and Cybertron, definitely a Detroit song. And so, um, I just, so one of the things that I did was I did more of a, and more like an investigative reporter for a year. I just ran around, ran around and asked a lot of Detroiters, how do they experience their music? Um, what did they know about techno? Where were they? Had they been on the dance floor when techno was emerging? And I also got a chance to talk to a lot of um, DJs and producers. And so when I started listening to these recorded interviews, I realized that there was such rich poetic language in what they were saying. And so the poem that I brought to you today um, is Detroit Tells Its Techno Story. And it is a... um, it is very little editing. Most of the lines in here are direct quotes from those interviews. And it's a persona poem in the collective voice, so Detroit tells its techno story. Let me be honest. Back in the day, I had to go to Chicago to see my music. We had to go to Europe to be validated. We were preps holding up our high school clubs. Back then, rec centers turned into after-hour gay bars, Dudes would roll their coffins anywhere they'd let them play. Social clubs, supermarkets. As long as we could drop tracks, we dropped them big black boxes and showed the world our speakers and turntables. And the people would break dance. That was before NWA. Techno was Detroit's response to Germany. We turned Tour de France into a breakbeat. We took craft work and mixed it with the breath of the machine. Canadians tried to come over here and steal and take our style, but whatever sound they pushed out of their studios just wasn't right. It had no funk. Detroit found a way to add a break into the breath. The compu- then computers had all kind of regular kids getting creative, and now we got all kind of DJ, DJ Nudafinger wannabes dropping that booty like it's hot with no liner notes. No album art. No live venues. No radio personality pledging by your new hook. No way to know where you stole it from. 
You can hear us in French techno, dubstep, and Nicki Minaj in K-pop and Afrobeat. Kanye say he even got his sound from us and still folks stumbling around the hood talking about we got no legacy. I couldn't hear myself until someone from outside told me how I looked. Until they put my picture in the paper, my mother thought I was selling drugs. I was always gone. I always came home with new clothes. My friends thought I was a nobody, but they heard my songs on the radio. They just didn't know who it was. I ain't got no computer class. I worked three jobs and still stole clothes from Eastland Mall, so I flew. I got on a plane, a nobody got off in Japan, and I'm a somebody, a superstar. Came home and my boy still said, forget that dude. I had a gold record and a beat-up Toyota that wouldn't even start. It's hard to be people in Detroit thinking on another level. No matter how much foreign dirt I kick, I still got home running through me. This music passion is one of the few things that make me. Nothing else works. Nothing else put me on the other side of the planet. Not the army. Not some woman. Not some rich man. Me. My music. My machines. Thank you, Nandi. Thank you. I'm so glad to share that one. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, no matter what, I know that... Um, now, as I am traveling through the world, traveling through Michigan, um, Detroit is always with me. And so Detroit just like shows up so much in my poems, even when I'm like talking about something else in the world. If I'm talking about Mexico, Detroit shows up, you know. So um, I really I, I didn't know how much I kind of loved Detroit until I left. And so now that I'm back, it's almost it's really hard to think about being anywhere else, you know. For any extended time. Yeah, yeah. I say that. I mean, I, I'm still one of those people that, like, a lot of my friends will say, do you still live here? <laughs> but Because <laughs> uh, you've got that little bit of poet hermit in you? Or? I, well, I, I tend to, my, my, um, my fascination with places will draw me out to a place and I'll stay there for like a month for no. or two months. Like I really will. I don't like to necessarily visit. I like to kind of move in a little bit and then I'll come back. You know, <laughs> I always come back. Yes. So, yeah. What a wonderful way to be in the world mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. though. What are, what are some of the places since Mexico that those are places you've, you've been in well for me right now um probably vermont is one of those places i often go i started i first went there for residency at vermont studio center and then after grad school i was invited to work as work for staff for a year and that was a fellowship that i did but um there is something that there's kind of a, a lumberjack in me that likes the utilitarianism of Vermont and um, really loves itchy wool. And so, um, but I, uh, and now, and now my partner lives out there. And so I am, um, I oftentimes like maybe once or twice, um, once or every two years, I will plan like a month or two to be out there and just, you know, really reconnect. I also find it's also a place for my writing. Um, I find it, I find sometimes it's harder to write about Detroit when I'm in the hustle and bustle. But when I have that sense of longing, I start to remember all the details that I'm missing in my space. And so I go back to that. I go away in order to get closer to my to my hometown. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. And Vermont can be a place 
like that for it's you. so different yeah it's so different <laughs> yeah. I mean you've named some of the top things about it already <laughs> that define it in some ways that you have to at least reckon with mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, to be there mm-hmm. but yeah another a beautiful natural space and interesting mm-hmm. people um mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and are there other places that you've also um gone because from that now that makes sense in this this Nandi orbit of, of places <laughs> Um, well, um, I, I know you said not Mexico, but I do go back to Guadalajara oh, no. yeah. often. Mex- the, well, so. Let's talk about Mexico. Yeah, cause... I go to Guadalajara often. It was the first place that I went to after I left University of Michigan. Um, I only, I went there to teach English, um, like an after college job. And I stayed there for three years as working as a, as a, um, English, as an English teacher. Cause where I was teaching was at a private school that was bilingual. And so um, I don't really think of it as an English as a second language class because I was teaching high school literature Mm -hmm. at one point. And so we were actually teaching out of American literature books. So um, uh, it was really a place that I also really understood that I was an artist because the first place I did was embed myself with the artists, the dancers, the musicians, the poets and um, yeah, a lot of the poems in my first collection are a reflection of that time. That's what I was going to say <laughs> <laughs> from being a total outsider to it. But um, just um, having the chance to reread tapping out um, to prepare for this moment with you, Nandi. Um, yeah. Do you want to, do you want to read one of these poems where you're embedded with the artists mm-hmm. and then and I, I know we've got to talk about Lucha Libre mm-hmm. too mm-hmm. Um, but there's there's so much to talk about there's um, and who knows it could be a poem where Detroit makes a cameo as well because there's just as you <laughs> said it's it's threaded through here oh yeah 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 so um, I'll read um, Mama Snaps I'll Salsa I Salsa um so this one is there's a there's a it's it starts off with a quote from a Celia Cruz song. Esa negrita tiene su tumbao y cuando la gente la va mirando, ella baila de lado también apretado, apretado, apretado. Every Thursday, this band pumps la mutualista with the clave's core clink. So I trek a mile through downtown's dim stone streets. Because in Guadalajara, the Cubans bring the best dancers, and I am choosy with men's hands. The cantina's dance floor fills with tilts and turns. Congas, trombones, and singers climb up and down their solos. Keys shaped the, from the piano, pianist's fingers form a forged parentage at my waist. Here, I am La Negra. Not gringa. I tiptoe in high tops while American girls and new studio pumps stumble over un, dos, tres. A sweaty palm guides me as my lopsided paisanos collide on awkward legs. My hips carve boundaries into the hard floor. The band leader winks before he sings about a dark woman he loves and how sad his home will be if she leaves. Past the rope fence 
dance floor, a Frenchman pulls his Haitian wife close, and they swing in their tight circle through the band's last bang. We are all migrants, our heads subtle swish, our kicks slight slant. My dance partner asks again and again, Pero tú, ¿de dónde eres? Back home, my mother's radio is probably cranking Marvin Gaye dedications or Luther Vandross apologies. As she snaps on beat to each doo-wop, she remembers a dance hall man who praised the dip in her waistband and doubted Detroit's fumes and motors manufactured her worldly strut. Salsa, bachata, Chicago step, I take on each ritual dance. Adapting is a stump and blended spend. Here, I become a camouflage of rolling R's. Thanks, Nandi. Thank you. A camouflage of rolling R's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this this poem, actually, somehow, I don't know if you knew it when we were talking right before you chose it, but it, it did everything that we were just mm-hmm. talking. Mm-hmm. Um, we have you like this this narrator that um, we now know is you we can say with confidence mm-hmm, there mm-hmm. in this this place this with dancers um, going to where the Cubans bring the best dancers mm-hmm. um, and and feeling like you're you're definitely part of it in a in a di- very different way mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. also being aware of like the the gringa american girls and mm-hmm. these different shoes mm-hmm. we get to see some a part of home your mother mm-hmm. with a radio that's mm-hmm. connected instead of like her own albums it's directed right to the community mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and then detroit named and it's mm-hmm. and it's stamp on her you your yeah movement <laughs> it's it's interesting um so in order to write poetry one you're you need to you have to be able to tap into the familiar right but you also want to have the specificity of your own experience but um there are very few black women from Detroit fluent in Spanish who have lived abroad and who like grew up a black nationalist and you know all these things and so um oftentimes when I'm writing autobiographical work it's very difficult to write from my own upbringing because I'm always like is that familiar enough for people do people understand what I'm saying and so um I think that's also where this these po- these poems sometimes come from is that they come from a space of like wanting to explain myself and hoping that someone else sees me. <laughs> and so in that that poem it's it's the idea of like feeling kinship with so many people and how there's so many immigrants in this one space. There's the French couple that is also dancing, the Americans that are dancing, the Cubans that are singing. We're all in Mexico. And so, you know, also recognizing that there's this there's this gathering space that we can all be and that in the end, it's all a blend of, you know, all of us in that presence, you know. Um, but also, I've always felt a little um, sense of of chameleon in a sense, especially in Spanish speaking spaces, because I confuse people. <laughs> they don't know what to do with me. Which sometimes. is wonderful. 
That's yeah. definitely represented throughout <laughs> tapping now. Yeah. Yeah. And also, um, I think that when we are in spaces, we are asked to perform a different role than we're used to as foreigners in spaces or as a stranger in a space, whether it's like you're going into a university or you're going into a new neighborhood, you're asked to, you know, in a sense, represent yourself in a way that you maybe wouldn't back home. And so I find I want I use that. I, I tapped into that tapping. I know. I love that. that. But um, I use that in the sense of thinking about how we're presenting. We oftentimes have to use mask in order to go through that space. So what became really important to the collection was something that I was a fandom that I developed when I was living in, in Guadalajara. I became a huge fan of Lucha Libre, Mexican wrestling. And what was happening, honestly, was that I was trying to write about these things about being abroad and being the only black person abroad in very um, in places where there weren't a lot of people of African descent and what that meant for someone who was trying to go out and see something new and different and then becoming the thing that was new and different in a space because no one else had ever seen someone like me. And I was writing really bad poems about it. I, I was trying the heart, my hardest. I was like, don't, no, this is really important. This is an experience. And then um, I had a teacher one day wear a bracelet that had all these little um, rosaries. But instead of the saints, um, usually there are pictures of the saints on these um, bracelets. There was like a picture of El Santo and there was a picture of Blue Demon and there was a picture of the Jalisco and I said oh where did you get this this is this is really cool and she was like why do you know who these people are and I was like oh 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 I when I lived down there I became a big fan I would go to the matches all the time and she's like why don't you write about that and the first thing I said was well I think it's a space of, of cultural appropriation I don't think that that's a space that that I think I'll let other I'll let Mexican-Americans, all Mexicans um, write about that. I think that it's important that, you know, we honor that, that that is not mine. And she said, because of that, I want you to keep that in your mind while you're writing, because then you might, ta- you might find in that space, you know, where you, where you are writing towards that others can't. And so um, it became a like as I started writing about just writing poems about my experiences, I started to go think about mask and started thinking about that. And I am also one who uses persona a lot in my writing. So in the poems, there is an, a, a borrowing of languages and a borrowing of personas in order to execute these ideas yeah, and a trying on mm-hmm. to explore or it's also to connect to what you are, what's drawing you to it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, to, mm-hmm. to maybe to begin with mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so. So this is how we, we get the origin story here <laughs> yeah. of like how tapping out began. And thank you for saying also sometimes when you're trying to write about an experience that you know is important, you can't. It does feel like the bad poems are just with you mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because they they are earnest or they're something 
not that earnest is bad. That's mm-hmm. wonderful too. And also I want to note, it was very, it's easy for me to say in that flippant way, oh, it's wonderful when people don't know what to do with you. <laughs> you know, when you said that earlier, mm-hmm. because I think that is in some ways that can be a superpower or it can be like a way to, um, I don't know, be alive, but it can also be exhausting yeah. and it can also have these other aspects to it that you've been talking about, mm-hmm. like to represent something that's larger than the self in ways that you're like, why mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, I can be one person mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in this world. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Okay. Let's, let's take a short break. Sure. We'll hear more of your music. We'll come back today on Living Writers. Nandi Comer is here. Um, we just heard a poem from Tapping Out. I'm T. Hetzel. We've got Jason behind the glass. We'll be back. Welcome back. You've got living writers today. Nandi Comer is here. Nandi, thanks again for picking the songs for today. This was as well as bringing um, new poems and talking about tapping out and talking about your current experience of being Michigan Poet Laureate. I mean, so much. I can't believe we're um, we're actually managing in this hour to, <laughs> to cover a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, things, but there's always going to be more to say with you, I'm sure. Um, before we, <laughs> before we get back to that, um, I'll read your short bio on tapping out. Um, Nandi Comer holds a joint MFA, MA in poetry and African American and African diaspora studies from Indiana University, Bloomington. She's been awarded fellowships from the Kalalu Creative Writing Workshop, Kave Kanem, Vermont Studio Center, and the Virginia Center for the Arts. Comer has been named a Kresge Artist Fellow and, um, as we know, the Michigan State Poet Laureate, um, the first in 60 years, uh, the first woman, the first black woman, that's a lot of firsts, (laughs) 
I am still um, floored by it. I, I, you know, it's also one of those things that it amazes me that we hadn't crossed these off the list yet. You know, we should have had a second poet laureate a long time ago, and we should have had a black poet laureate and a woman poet laureate by now. But I am honored, and I feel very um, fortunate to be able to do this. Um, And also I think it means a lot that Michigan is selecting someone like me to be an advocate for poetry. Um, Black men, black women's stories are just so like, they just, they really speak to a unique experience, but they also speak to a universal experience because if most, most movements, most um, causes for social change, Black women have been at the foundation of them. And so um, I really, it, it makes sense to me <laughs> that a Black woman would be the, the poet laureate at, at this moment, at this time, you know. Same. Yeah. Can you be on a board, like, to stay as part of this? To be part? <laughs> I don't know. Michigan, Library, Library of Michigan, if you're listening out there. I, you know. And if you have time, because I also know that you have your own visions and work mm-hmm. ahead and mm-hmm. and part of it could always be connecting into community uh, but it's also a big responsibility to have in part of your mind always mm-hmm. i mean i i definitely will be around to support the next incoming poet laureate and want to make sure that they have a, all their questions answered um and so i definitely want to be there you know, in in the capacity that I can, you know, so, yeah. And then we'll see thereafter mm-hmm. if there's like... <laughs> I'm sure the next... I am helping with the selection process for the 2025. So, yeah. Okay, so back to the poems, Nandi. Um, with, with Tapping Out, with this book, you mentioned um, Lucha Libre and finding a passion um, for this sport... Um, your, your, um, your cover is absolutely brilliant. And the artist is someone that features within the sections of the book. Because when you were creating, do you want to talk a little bit about the, the structure of the book, how you created it with the, the opening poem, and then the, the images Mm -hmm. and the... Well, um, so the... The book, um, I I think the cover itself is also like kind of the way I used to talk about the book. I would always say, well, the book is about Lucha Libre, re- Mexican wrestling. And people would be like, really? And I'm like, oh, but it's about so much more. And I think that's what the cover does, too. There's this mass wrestler who is, um, that is this face that's hovering over a ring. But if you look closely, the ring is chains. And so in thinking about that kind of struggle and the kind of roots of some of the things that are happening in the book. So the book, yes. um, it's very heavily researched. It, um, it, it not only goes into the sport, um, for anyone who doesn't know Mexican wrestling, there are a lot of definitions in the book. Um, I actually chose specific definitions to help ground people in the sport so that they could understand the rules and what I would be referring to later on in the um, section. So for example, 
there is um, a, a poem titled La Base, and La Base is a term in wrestling, the, rest, the, the base of an aerial flight move, where um, wrestlers are known for these acrobatic, just beautiful, um, they actually introduced a lot of the kind of um, just sailing and flipping in the ring that um, we later see in the American um, in the American um, field. But um, so I use so that people can understand la base. There is a pact between the wrestler that if someone starts to position themselves for a flight move to go in the air the base or the person who is receiving the move has to put them situate themselves and stay in place and kind of accept that wrestler they have to um you know be ready to catch them and if they don't then they can actually hurt themselves or hurt the person who is in the is in the air and also no one will want to wrestle with you if if you are known for um not committing to being the base of an aerial flight move you know so and you're so, absorbing the impact yeah you absorb the impact i think um the other thing that i i often uh, tell people people ask like well why did you get so obsessed with wrestling isn't it fake isn't it why why would you why would you watch such a thing um and my answer to that is like no one asks if Cirque du Soleil is fake and Cirque du Soleil, they do two to three shows in <laughs> Vegas every day. And we all go see it. And it's all planned out. Nothing else about Vegas is fake. and Right. <laughs> but that we consider them athletes, it, you know, and we consider... Storytellers. Um, we consider them storytellers and athletes. We don't think about the, the, you know, I think that what we're watching, while it might be planned, there's an artistry to it there's an athleticism to it. And then sometimes there are like straight competitions happening. Um, and so what I wanted to, um, and that's all present in the book. Yeah. Like some of like the stakes are really raised as, as, as we get towards the end, especially. Right. And so, um, I will just tell the listeners that there are other poems that really bring you into the ring (laughs) where you are literally sitting there eating popcorn with me and watching, (laughs) Um, fights between Mystico and Terrible, and you get to see that. But I um, want to share the this poem, Losing the Mask, which is done in two parts. It is um, it is the last poem in the collection. Um, and just to, because I'll say two, basically, two words in Spanish. One, and they're the titles of the two sections. El Luchador is the first section, and La Mascara is the second section. So the first section is El Luchador, the mask. And the, um, I'm sorry, El Luchador is the fighter, and it's done in, in his voice. And then La Mascara is her is actually the mask voice, which I have um, given an effeminate gender. So losing the mask. One, El Luchador. When the laces loosened and gave, a cool air and calm hit my face. The ring's grass clogged my ears. Not silent, not chaos. It was as if I'd mangled my hand on a jab. I lost my face, placed my creased grin into my audience's palms. Losing my mask was like having my torso ripped out. Then I offered it, still trembling, to the winner. My face, 
my exposed veins pumping over my forehead. I was no lazy factory worker losing my thumb under a negligent power saw. Not a chef cutting too quickly at a raw carrot. I lost. I put on a good face. My face. I dragged the rest of my body through the arena, through warm back halls, to my locker, pulled my arms into my shirt, and tugged at the buckle of my belt. I dressed my body in plain clothes. I broke. Two, la mascara. Before I let go, before they part me open, before they pull you head first out of me and hand me over to a man who will take me and hang me, before I become a sparkling medallion, a memory, a relic of slaughter, you have to, you've got to loosen all the strings. You will always have hair, boots, and tape. In a year, you can go to a mall or grocery store. You can walk through the dust of a market, and everyone will know the bottom lip and callous forehead I've kept so long inside. Mijo, before I let go of your face, someone will have to rip me apart. Thanks, Nandi. Thank you. That, that one... That one gets me. <laughs> so why did you put that as the final poem? Um, so throughout the the collection, there are there's a there's a series of poems that are titled How Not to Lose the Mask. And there are different ways in which strategies in which, you know, characters find themselves not giving up their character? How are they maintaining their persona? How do they stay in character? And I thought, well, but that's not always what happens. We all, sometimes we lose. Sometimes there is the, the like terrifying defeat. There is that tragic moment. And they actually do put their mask and their hair on the line. And when they lose, they have to give it up. But it is, um, from what I understand from all the research and some of the, I've watched matches where people have lost their mask. It's a, it's a recovery time. But I also thought, what happens to, like, the mask? The mask itself ha- it has to, this isn't, it's so emotional for the fighter. If you could, you know, personify the mask what would the mask find so difficult and the the thing that I could only think of is that it would be like a motherly like birthing even you know it might it would be somebody that would feel both also understand how to bless the losing wrestler to say because when you lose your mask it doesn't mean that you don't you can't fight again it means you can't take you can't use the mask again but um, in a sense, also saying, like, it'll be just as difficult for me to let you go, but you will have another life after me, you know, sort of like when we let our children go off to college, you know, <laughs> it, it's it's a it's a blessing. But it's also this tragedy that I thought, you know, this is the way that I wanted to end the story. 
And you're at the beginning of the book, Nandi. You have the the epigraphs from. Mm-hmm. Would you want to talk about that a little bit, connecting? Oh yeah. Um, and so the epigraphs that I chose, I chose Paul Lawrence Dunbar's "We Wear the Mask," um, and I also chose James Baldwin's "Stranger in the Village." These are two writers that I was really thinking about, um, and they both speak to the the usage of the mask, but they're specifically thinking about bla- the black experience and what does it mean to have to adapt a persona in terms of your own um, survival. And so, um, again, thinking about this is not me trying to appropriate someone's culture. I start within the African-American literary trajectory so that it is very clear that this is definitely from an African-American perspective. And there are other poems that get into the African presence in um, Mexico as well. But I wanted them, I wanted these to be the very, so people understood that I am not that I also am in entering into persona, that I am also not only just wearing a mask as as in like James Baldwin says, beneath the black mask, a human being begins to make himself felt. One cannot escape a certain awful wonder as to what kind of human being it is. And the idea of the experience of what the what the black experience is, that no matter what people, what they're what they put face forward the black experience you'll never under really understand everything that's happening under there right and so um I think that happens to me in my poems there are some autobiographical poems but I think of I think I've read now two persona poems out of the three poems that I've read (laughs) I oftentimes um am using personas as to tell the story that needs to be told too so yeah Let's because we have a a, a, a bit wee bit of time. Just a lot of time. Um, is it possible to to jump now and in, leap into the present more oh, yeah. with with w- yeah. work that you're you're doing now, Nandi? So um, recently, I've been thinking a lot about womanhood and what it means to um, to be experiencing the world in the female body. Um, and one of the things that's really strange is just we wear bras <laughs> and so for women that have that wear bras um and just my experience with bras have been very um i think almost i think a lot of women struggle with bras and um but also um i was just thinking i i don't usually write in form but when i decided to write about my experience with my own body i started thinking about how confusing the um the um the system is for actually you know trying to find a bra and so I thought oh while I was writing I was like I think I'm I think I need to write towards the system and so I started to write abecedarian poems which are poems that each line starts with a letter from the alphabet but instead of using the alphabet using the actual um the system the bra system that we use so this this one is um, from the American bra sizing. Right now, they're all just called breast abecedarian and indicating which system I'm I'm using. Uh, so a breast abecedarian, American bra sizing, and it has an epigraph by Drake, the rapper. Thirty six L. How many letters are there, Drake? 
Angular elbows and knees. I was 12 when boys at church noticed them. Then I was a small cupped girl, itty bitty titty committee queen. I wished for D cups, a Baywatch bod. Instead, I slipped into trainers while Dee Dee and Shayla and Candace arched their backs. Every girl curves into the weight of a body, not ready to feel the slope and bust of a boy's wanting gaze. I touched myself. I watched my mother hunch over, scoop heavy chests and stiff cones. Then it began. My slow march through each letter. Double D, E, F, G, H, I, J, each season, I spilled into a bigger size. I wanted to bounce on beaches in kite-shaped string bathing suits. Instead, my size meant cheap satin, lace, and beige britches. No pinks, no patterns, no matching thongs for girls over G. The hard, narrow straps cut at my shoulders and rib cage, or wires and padding pinched into my body. No praise for a titty too big for a halter top or strapless. Quilted stretch of nipple, dark areola, fatty tissue reduced to sex. So much of my body is a harvest of sails or simply a spectacle. Oh, to be alone, groping their thickness, their color, their weight. I praise myself, undoing each hook, set loose my exquisite chest. Thank you, Nandi Comer. Thank you. Thanks for being here today, Nandi. Nandi Comer, Michigan State Poet Laureate, um, writer of beautiful and important, valuable poems. Um, Thank you. Tapping out the book on the table with us. More poems to come on the horizon. Yeah, yeah. Come back anytime. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. Uh, Thanks for today, Nandi. Thanks, everyone out there, for listening. Thanks to Jason for engineering. Um, I'm T. Hetzel. Until next time. Thanks, Nandi. Dicen el negro llorona, negro, pero cariñoso. Yo soy como el chile verde llorona.